Hello, and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast. Today I wanted to talk to you about who is in charge of the Roman Empire. Now, some of you guys may think, well, that's a bit obvious, right? The emperor, sometimes called Caesar. There are a lot of different emperors that ruled over the course of of, uh, the New Testament. Ben, you did a whole video about this. You did a whole podcast about this. Why is this a topic? But actually, this is an important issue. When we talk about who's actually in charge of the Roman Empire, this is an issue that is important specifically for the New Testament. Now, let me give you an illustration. Who's in charge of the Roman Empire? Notice something. If you've ever looked at the account of Jesus' trial, specifically, um, let's say trials, actually. Let's not even say trial. Let's just look at trials. If you look at every single gospel, you're going to see some interesting things in terms of who's actually in charge. First of all, the thing that you'll notice is the Gospels are going to show you, regardless of which one, particularly if you read all four Gospels, the last account of Jesus' life, what you'll see is, first thing, Jesus is going to be arrested and brought to the Sanhedrin. So he's going to be arrested and brought to the Sanhedrin, whether this be uh, Roman soldiers who do the arresting, whether it be temple guards with another kind of crowd with them. Um, What you're going to see happen, one of the first things that happen is they're arrested and then they're brought to the Sanhedrin. So, first question you have is, who is the Sanhedrin and how do they have any authority to arrest somebody? All right? Then Jesus is going to have a trial and then the Sanhedrin is then going to take him, they're going to find him guilty and they're going to bring him to Pilate. And then they're going to bring him to Pilate and they're going to say, hey, Pilate, We found him guilty. Now you need to do something. So now Pilate is going to put him on trial, right? All right, well, wait a minute. So is the Sanhedrin in charge or is Pilate in charge? Well, Pilate's going to say, no, you try Jesus. You you do it. And they're like, oh, well, we can't execute him, which means they can punish him, but they can only punish him in a certain way. They can flog him. They can do all kinds of other things to him but they cannot actually kill him. So then then Pilate is going to try Jesus, and then we see this very interesting thing where Pilate says, wait a minute, you're from Galilee? No, you need to be tried by Herod. So he sends him over to Herod Antipas. Then Herod tries to kind of get to the bottom of this, ends up not finding any real issue, sends him back to Pilate. So, in the midst of this story, we have seen three different groups within the Roman Empire that all exercise some sort of authority, right? But it doesn't stop there, because if you look at uh, the accounts closely, some of the Gospels record this very interesting thing where Pilate wants to release Jesus, he's ready to do it, and then the people say this, They say, if you release Jesus, you're no friend of Caesar. Because anybody who puts himself up as a king of the Jews is competing against Caesar, and we have no king but Caesar. So what do you see there? You see, once again, 
the one that probably all of us would answer, Caesar or the emperor, that's the answer we would all give of who's in charge of the Roman Empire, right? So just in that account, one of the most famous accounts, we have four different accounts of the trial of Jesus or the trials of Jesus. We have all of these accounts, and they point to something that a lot of readers of the New Testament either don't understand or they just gloss over, or maybe they kind of understand aspects of it. And that's the reality that government control in the Roman Empire is complicated. See, we often think in terms of uh, a system where you have a particular uh, group in charge, and then, so usually we have a federal government where you have this, uh, you have a president in charge, and there's kind of aspects of that, and yeah, you then you have a state government and local governments. Well, that's not totally unlike uh, what you see in Rome, but what you see in the Roman Empire is very, very different. We need to understand that the Roman Empire is not as centralized as some governments of the present day. It's not as centralized. It's not really like, oh, the emperor has all this power and everything he says goes. See, we tend to think of it like that. The emperor is in control of everything. But you have to understand that communication is not that quick. You can't get communication that far. And also, local areas have a lot of autonomy. Just meaning that local areas, local leaders, have a lot more power. So let's talk about how Rome expanded first in order to understand this. So when Rome expands, it's not always just pure um, military conquest. Now, certainly, that is a part of how Rome expands, right? As Rome starts to move forward, yes, uh, it conquers, it defeats your armies, and then it sets up shop. But it does not always do that simply by taking over and then saying, okay, now you answer to the emperor and the governor that the emperor puts in place. Because that would be really difficult to manage. Because you would have to keep an army in that region all the time. So what the Romans actually do is they try to work with the local leadership of a particular area. So they try to work with the local nobility. So they come into an area through military conquest or sometimes through other means of leadership. They come into an area and they try to build relationships with the local elites. And they try to do what's called Romanization. Basically, they try to get the local elites and the local people to take on Roman culture or at least Roman authority. So in having these political alliances with local leadership, what the Romans are able to do is instead of having to have a strong military presence, basically they're able to say, look, you local elites, you keep the people in order. You keep the people obedient to Rome and we'll allow you to have a certain level of leadership. We'll have, allow you to have a certain level of authority. So what we have in Rome, in the Roman Empire, is this situation where it's not the emperor's in control of everything and has his thumb on everything. 
Instead, we have the situation where, yes, the emperor does have a significant amount of authority, but much of that authority has been delegated down to local elites. And in some cases, if an area is particularly troublesome, the, the emperor or possibly the senate, if it's a really uh, pacified region, the emperor will appoint someone in order to lead and govern that area. So now look at Jesus's trial with this in mind, this idea that in Rome, authority theoretically is in the emperor, but often practically has been delegated down to local elites or maybe to a governor. Let's look at that in Jesus's trial. Let's look at what happens. So Jerusalem is a particularly difficult nut to crack. Because in the region of Judea, there's all these religious rules and religious regulations that the Romans don't quite get. And even more specifically, the the Jewish people are very easily agitated when some of their religious rules and religious regulations are violated. So as a result, there has been a high degree of authority granted to the Sanhedrin that is in the area around Jerusalem. So the Sanhedrin is just a high court made up of important uh, religious leaders within Judaism, within Second Temple Judaism. Now, the, the head of this would be the high priest, and then you have groups usually divided among the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are in this high court. So this high court, and really in particular, the high priest, has a lot of authority that they can then exert on uh, Jewish people. They can punish them in a variety of different ways. One major way is that they can flog. They can temporarily, they can arrest someone, they can flog them, means they beat them severely uh, for breaking Jewish law. However, there's a certain level of law that the emperor has reserved for his officials specifically in this region. So a lot of authority has been delegated to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem and the high priest in Jerusalem. So he's not just a religious figure, but he's a very political figure. So a lot of authority has been delegated to him. But some authority, specifically the authority to execute someone, has been reserved for the representative of the king, excuse me, the representative of the Caesar or the emperor. And that is Pilate. Pilate is the representative of the emperor. He is a governor. He is a Roman governor, a Roman uh, appointee. And he has overall control of Judea. So he has that authority as a Roman soldier, Roman governor. Now, let's add in Herod. Because what we have to understand is that even though Judea uh, is under the authority of Pilate, just a little bit north of there in Galilee is actually under the authority of a client ruler. So a client ruler is... Someone, kind of like a king, sometimes it's a king, sometimes it's a tetrarch or something else. In this case, Antipas is a tetrarch. Herod Antipas is a tetrarch. And in this case, what happens is Herod Antipas 
um, has the authority like a king has, and he can execute, he can have a small army, he can rule just like any other king or ruler would, would rule, only he ultimately answers to the Caesar, right? So what you have happening here is you have some jurisdictional differences where you have Pilate kind of has this hot potato where on one hand, even though he's the only one with the authority to execute in Judea, um, he's found himself in a situation where he does not want to make a political enemy of the Sanhedrin and specifically the high priest. So he wants to be able to pass that potato, pass the hot potato on, and pass it over to Herod. Of course, Herod's not really going to give him that ability. Herod's going to look at it, he's going to ask some questions, he's going to send him back, yeah, I don't really have anything with this. So, so that could kind of help you with this story of, of Jesus' trial. We have ultimately Caesar is in control. But a lot of his power, because of the distance of travel, because you don't want to have to constantly keep an army in a region as much as possible, you want to keep leaders there doing what they do. So he's delegated much of that authority uh, to the Sanhedrin, to Herod, and then had his own appointee in that region, um, who is Pilate. Now, this actually doesn't just show up here in the trial of Jesus. You actually also see this issue in other places. So one example um, would be in Acts, where you have this example where Paul is in Thessalonica, and he casts out this demon, and all of a sudden he get, gets attacked um, by the owners of the slave um, through whom he cast this demon out of, um, they beat him up, they drag him before these magistrates, and these magistrates um, basically throw Paul and Silas into jail, and you have this really kind of weird example, this thing happening, um, and it's, oh, it's, it's not Thessalonica, this is um, Philippi, yeah. So you have this thing happen where there's an earthquake and all this stuff happens, right? Well, the next day they show back up before the magistrates. Well, the magistrates send for them. And then uh, there's this whole exchange where Paul says, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You're not allowed to beat me without trial. Um, that's not okay. And in that same scene there in Philippi, you have this clashing of Paul being a Roman citizen, meaning he has protections afforded to him by the emperor. And here in Philippi, you have these local magistrates that have been given a certain amount of local authority. And they realize that their exercise of their local authority has now violated a protection afforded to a Roman citizen. So, so you see that tension there. And it's not just there. We also see it in Acts. In, we see there in Acts in... Um, in Ephesus, I can't think of the chapter off the top of my head, you see there's a riot in Ephesus, and some leaders get up, and they speak before this crowd that is rioting, and they speak before them, and these are local leaders, these are local officials who are appointed by the city, 
and they actually have a good amount of authority, but they say, hey guys, if you riot too much, the Romans are going to get word of this, and they're going to send an army, and they're not going to be happy about this. So you see again that dual authority, that we in this region have a certain amount of local autonomy that has been granted to us by the emperor. We're allowed to kind of rule our own affairs, yet the emperor's hand and his, uh, his use of force is always there and always has the potential to come in and squash things if necessary. So you can actually see this all over. Sometimes you see a little bit more uh, authority where you have someone like Pilate, or in other parts you see one proconsul called Gallio in Achaia. So sometimes you see Roman officials directly in control. Sometimes you see situations where they don't have quite as much con- they they don't have as much direct control, but instead they have local leadership that is actually in control. So hopefully this helps you to understand kind of what's going on there in in who actually runs the Roman Empire. The answer is a lot of people. Yes, technically the emperor has the greatest amount of authority, but that authority is often delegated to other people. And you see throughout the New Testament this overlapping of authority where different people are in charge of different areas and sometimes that authority butts up against each other. So, Thanks for listening or watching this podcast. And also, I just want to remind you that I do have a book out um, where I do talk some about what we just talked about. Um, But it's called Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament, where I deal with how Roman officials dealt with civil unrest in the first century and how that helps us to understand passages in the New Testament. So if you want to support the channel, I encourage you to... Uh, buy my book. You can get it on Amazon, but also to like, subscribe, share, um, and write reviews. 